Miami's Mental Health Podcast, aiming to spread awareness on mental health by sharing the real-life stories of those who've experienced it firsthand. Matthew Dixon is here today. Hi. How's it going, buddy? Not too bad. Thanks so much for uh, coming on, doing this via Skype. Thanks for having me. Via Zoom, not Skype. Same thing. <laughs> um, you're over in St. Andrews, New Brunswick. Yeah. And uh, you're zooming in, so it's awesome. Awesome to have you here, man. Uh, how are things going today? Not too bad. Yeah, enjoying this warmer weather, slightly warmer weather, springtime, so yeah. What's the temperature like over there today? Oh, it's 10, 12 degrees, I think. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Summer's coming, spring's coming. <laughs> Is there a lot of restrictions there still, like as far as the COVID and everything? Things are lifting, yeah. So there's still restrictions, but yeah, more things are opening up. That was awesome, man. That's good. It's good news. PEI <laughs> and New Brunswick are in good shape. It's yeah. yeah. Hopefully it stays that way. Yeah. Um, so I just want to say thanks a lot for reaching out and wanting to come on, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, yeah, looking forward to this. Yeah, man, me too. Um, so there's a few different things you want to talk about, but... Um, why don't you just, uh, I think you'd be the best way to introduce yourself and what you're here yeah. to talk about. So my name is Matthew Dixon and I've, I've got schizophrenia and it's a hard one. It's mental, it's a hard mental illness. It's got more stigma attached to it than other mental illnesses. So yeah, that's, that's been, uh, it's been, it's been difficult for sure. I'm 48 now and I got diagnosed when I was 22. I went to get help. I, I, I was willing to get on medication. I've taken the same medication for 26 years now. And I, I think with schizophrenia, there's about 70, 75% of people, uh, uh, sorry, uh, actually that's with, uh, 70 to 75% of people with schizophrenia have auditory or visual hallucinations. I never did. So that made it easier for me. I also fell into the category of wanting to take my medication. Some people don't want to take the medication and I, I get it. It was, it, it was, uh, it was hard. It's, it's a hard diagnosis to accept. I mean, any, there's lots of horrible things you can go through and, and this is, this is one of them. So I, with medication, I, it's tough. I, as much as I wanted to be on my medication, it was, it's still, it's a hard, pardon the pun. It's a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> it's, it's like, really, I have to be on a medication now. It was, so I didn't, so part of me kind of did, I, I didn't really want to be on it. It felt like a ball on chain. Now, years later, all that I have to do is, is take a pill to, to be better. I mean, that's, it's, it's nothing in the early the early part of the diagnosis, it's, it's tough. It's, it's a, it, was, it was a big change in my life, but I, I took it. I, but yet at the same time, I wanted to take it. It's like, it, I, I knew it was one of the few things I could actually do to help me get better. So people think with schizophrenia, well, you know, what is it like? And I, I try to tell people like, it's not, it's, it's not that different from other mental illnesses. People say, well, you know, depression, they can kind of get that. Like most people, 
felt depressed, you know, got the blues at some point in their life, or they, they understand anxiety, you know, they've had butterflies in their stomach. But with schizophrenia, it's like, wow, I don't really even, I can't even comprehend that. That's the way I feel when I'm, when I'm talking to people. But I try to tell people that it, it's not that much different. There's some, there's some things like, uh, I, so I never had hallucinations, but for me, uh, my sense of space and time were affected. It was, it, it felt like I was watching things in, in two dimensions. It, it, a lot of people say it's like watching TV. And I've heard people who don't have schizophrenia, but other mental illnesses, or at least one other person I talked to uh, who had PTSD, he said that he, he had uh, same thing, like he felt like he was watching TV sort of thing, or disconnected, that's a disconnected from life feeling. And for me, it's like watching a TV. It's like you can see what's on the screen of the TV, or or the and but you can't reach into it. You can't interact with the people in the movie. It's 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 a, you're very disconnected from it. And my sense of time was affected. It was the days went by so horribly long. And yeah, it was with schizophrenia. Disorganized thinking is one of the main things too. It's hard to uh, gather your thoughts. Yet at the same time, people with schizophrenia say that as much as my, it's like my thoughts are just going by like at a, a million miles a second, it's, you still have another part of your brain that thinks normally. It just goes along. Like in the first few years of my disease, I, uh, after uh, some, so many months of recovery, I was able to go and volunteer at a local nonprofit. And I went back to university and took one course a term to try to get my degree back. I, I had to fail out of my, the last term of my degree, engineering. So I, I, I made these decisions. Like I was, you know, I'd be sitting there thinking, hmm, maybe I should go back to, you know, try to get my degree. And, and I thought about that. And then I'd plan, you know, go through my day. And so I'd still be doing things, but it's just a sort of overwhelming sense of just sort of it's chaos. It's, it's, I kind of liken it to being chased by a heat-seeking tornado. It's just, it, it just, it's relentless. Yet at the same time, as much as things are bad, things do get better. It's people often, you know, that intense pain in the early years, or not the early years, but the early, uh, early part of the diet. When, when, for me through university, I, I, I was muddling through. I, I could, I knew some things were, were wrong with me, but I could still do things. I bicycled across Canada and through in university, I was getting mostly A's in engineering. I could still do things, but I knew something was a little bit off, but this was the early nineties and people didn't talk about mental illness. I don't think Prozac was even invented then. So I, I didn't know I, I could still get up and do things, but when the disease hit, it hit hard. And it just, I was just flat on my back. I couldn't do anything. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely tough. But the thing is that things do get better. I, it, there's so much I know now uh, from having gone through it and from reading books on how to get better with mental health. Uh, I've read a lot of books over the years and there's so much more I know now, like how to improve your, your, your mindset. Like I've been reading books like from Olympic athletes, uh, Navy SEALs, and uh, there's, there's tons of books out there on how to improve your thinking. And this is, this 
this is, helps you whether you have a mental illness or not, this kind of improving your thinking. So uh, if I knew now what I knew back when I got for, when I first got diagnosed, it, it would have made my life a lot easier. And actually one of the best books that I've found to, to help with that uh, is called The Survivor Personality by Al Siebert. And that is a, it's a top recommendation. It's one of the top like four or five books that I'm always telling people about. And it's not just for mental health, it, it's for anything, cancer, alcoholism, uh, severe injuries, you name it. That's, that's, uh, it's one of my top books I recommend. So, so things like that, they, when the disease first hits, it's tough. It's you, it's, it's the, un, the, the unknown. You don't know what's, what, what your outcome is going to be. No one can say, well, you fall into this class of schizophrenia. It'll take, you know, so many weeks, months, years to get better. Or this is what's going to happen. They don't say anything. It's just like, we're going to try to find a medication that helps you. It may take a, a while, but it's kind of good luck. It's, 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 you feel very helpless and confused and bewildered and depressed. It's, it's tough. But I, I wish people knew when, they, when, they, when the disease first hits them that things can get better. They, they, they can. That intense pain lesson as time goes on and it, it lets you keep fighting for longer and longer. So with me, my, I noticed an improvement in my health every single week. And it's, it's been like that without fail for the last 26 years. I've, I, I'm still noticing improvements in my health. I, I was noticing improvements every week, every week of 1994, of 95, 96, 94 was when I first got, uh, when, the, when the disease first hit and when I went to get help. And every week, it's like, I don't know, over a thousand weeks now that I've noticed improvements. And in around 2012, uh, the improvements in my health happened more often than once a week, like every several times a week, or sometimes from morning to afternoon, I noticed an, an improvement. So it's been, yeah, and it's it's not easy, but it's... As a mental health advocate, like I'm trying to help people with other, with mental health, specifically mental health in developing countries, because it's it's a topic that or a cause that most people don't know about. Like I I I, I talk to people and say things like some countries have one psychiatrist per million people, and people are like really and like I know I didn't know that either. It wasn't until about 2016 2017 I stumbled on a, a TED talk by Vikram Patel. And he's a, he was talking about how uh, in, in developing countries, they have, you know, there, there's nothing. They have no mental health care. The good news is that the, they, they have a model, and Vikram Patel was instrumental in, in getting this started back in the 90s. And what they do is they go into a community, and they teach some of the people there how to give basic mental health care to those who need it. And this model and other models similar to it, they're low cost. They're proven effective and they're scalable. So that's the good news that the World Health Organization is trying to figure out the best way to roll it out to the masses. They haven't done that yet. And I, so in the meantime, I, I steer people towards four, uh, four nonprofits that are helping with this. They're relatively small. They're not as big as World Vision or UNICEF or any large nonprofits like that but they are doing good work on the ground. One is 
Basic Needs US, uh, basicneedsus.org. And they, Basic Needs was the, they're the largest uh, of their kind in the world. Well, Basic Needs, uh, the main branch was uh, made back around 2000, I think. It's, they've been around for about 20 years and they've helped oh, close to a million people get basic mental health care over that time period. So they're still small. They only have, a, I think, a one or two million dollar budget for the, for the year, but they're, they're, the, they're, they're the largest of their kind. So basic needs was, uh, they merged with CBM UK uh, a year or two ago, I believe. And, but the, I was talking to, so they also have uh, different branches, like there's in 14 countries, there's basic needs US, there's basic needs, uh, there's some in Africa and India, China. So I talked to the basic needs US branch, they're in Massachusetts, and they said that even though basic needs, the head branch merged with CBM UK, uh, the, each of the 14 chapters in 14 countries, they are still operating. So I stir people towards basic needs US uh, just for simplicity's sake right now. And the other three I stir people towards are the Minds Foundation, uh, mindsfoundation.org. They help people with uh, mental, get mental health care in India. And another one is Fine Mind, Fine Mind, F-I-N-E-M-I-N-D.org. The founder is Pavel Repo, and he's helping people in Northern Uganda get uh, mental health care. And the fourth one is uh, Strong Minds, strongminds.org. And the founder is Sean Mayberry. And he's helping women with depression at scale in Africa. And his model, uh, it doesn't use medication, it's a talk-based uh, group therapy. And he's getting good results with that. He also says that uh, Sean, Mayberry, Sean Mayberry of Strong Minds, he's, he's trying to get larger organizations like UNICEF and World Vision and whatnot already working to, but not necessarily working with mental health. He's getting them to, he's trying to get them to, since they're already in the ground and, and in large numbers, he's trying to teach them his method of that, of that group uh, talk therapy and, and getting to teach his army of volunteers and workers to, to use that in the places where they work because it, it's scalable. So, yeah. Okay. Um, that's awesome, man. I want to get more into that, but first I have a few questions about, um, I guess like your original diagnosis when you got diagnosed, um, what was like, you say it hit you all at once and you kind of described that um, briefly, like the distortion, um, distortion of time and um, like that disconnectivity. Yeah. of reality um could you maybe speak a little bit more like on that like what it was like at that time and also like the way you describe um improvements each week um what sort of improvements do you feel like i think for someone that may not understand like what's um what kind of improvements are, are you seeing i guess yeah so it's I don't know why the disease hit, hit so hard like that with me. And I, I don't know what other people's experience with it are like, but it's, you know, I was muddling through, I, I could say I slowly got a bit worse at the university, but I could still, I mean, 
weeks before I went into the hospital and was flat on my back and couldn't do anything. I was. What was the first? Sorry to cut you off, but what was the first sign? I think that's kind of important. Like what are the, what were the first little inklings of maybe there was something? Well, I'd say maybe in my in my second year of university, I found that I became more sort of emotionally flat. I, I, I my emotions weren't as normal as they were, and I would I'd say things and do things that just weren't didn't sound like me. They were I'm like, why did they say that? That didn't sound like something I'd say, and my memory was starting to go a little bit. Not really. I. I most people say I've got like a really good memory and, but the only, it's not like I blacked out or, or forgot things that really, but I, I had a, the whole, through my whole disease, I had a bit of a hard problem with remembering things like short-term, like what I did in the last few days, they kind of blended in and I couldn't remember them as much, it, but it's not like I blacked out, it's just they, you know, but, but that was one of the first symptoms that hit me. That was would have been in my third year of university. I found that I I remember sitting in my dorm room and I thought, what did I what did I have for dinner last night, like the day before? And I'm like, I usually I could remember that if if I gave uh, if I thought about it for a little bit, if I couldn't remember it immediately, and I just couldn't I couldn't remember. And I that's not that's not good. Anyway, I, but I could still, it, it wasn't like a really super, super dramatic thing. I mean, I, I mean, I'd have a lot more dramatic things coming down the tubes later. So that was one thing. And then I, uh, yeah, it was, those are sort of the two big ones through university. And I sort of that feeling of disconnected, like watching things on TV. But the symptoms that I've described to you so far, they kind of, they're not as intense as the feelings, the emotions you feel. Like I, I didn't have that really, that bad emotions through university, but when just, I mean, over the course of a, of a matter of, you know, a week or two or more, week or two or three, something like that, I was, after, you know, failing, I had to fail out of my university degree to go into the hospital, I just couldn't do anything. And the pain, it, it just came on, it came on so hard. It was, uh, it, it, the anxiety was like a, it's just, it's just like a knife stuck through your chest. It, it's tough, and it's it's the emotions that are so intense, and it's, and your thoughts just I, I really just couldn't do anything, and it took a long time to come back from that. So, yeah. So it was like a, an overwhelming and like anxiety fueled. Um, feeling yeah with schizophrenia i had depression and anxiety as well so it's 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 tough it's it's and people say you know you know i remember at the time i, I it was sort of hard to even describe my feelings i mean i could describe my feelings to you know to a large degree but some if you ask me well this feeling you're feeling right now is that depression or is that anxiety or is that schizophrenia like i don't know all I know is I feel bad. I feel, I would sort of describe to people like my thoughts are racing. I've got, you know, like a knife through my chest sort of thing. And I, I can't think properly. Uh, I feel like I'm watching things in, on, you know, on TV. And yeah, it's, it's, 
stuff. Right. So you end up going to the hospital, and um, what was that experience like? Very strange. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the hospital. They do great work. Uh, I know the mental health care system needs improvement in, in Canada and every country around the world. Uh, uh, a mental health expert from Harvard uh, was mentioning in the United Nations that when it comes to mental health care, every country is a developing country. So yeah, there's room for improvement. Actually, there's a, I'll just answer your question here in a sec. There's a, a Todd Leader. He's in Nova Scotia and he's got a yeah. book. It's not about us, about us. It's about improving the mental health care system from a, yeah, it's a, it's a great, great, uh, great resource. So when I went to the hospital, it's, it's, I mean, it, for, when I say it was really scary, it's because I was just so scared of the unknown and what was happening. Plus the anxiety, the anxiety just makes you feel scared for no reason. There's, I mean, it's, you know, you know, why are you feeling anxious now, Matthew? You know, are you about to get hit by a transport truck? No, no, I'm just sitting here. It's a nice sunny day. Nothing to be anxious about. It just makes you feel anxious and makes you feel very scared. So, so there's that, that, that underlying anxiety, anxiety that you feel all the time anyway, but there's also the bewilderment, the confusion of like, what's going on here? I'm, I'm, why do I, what? What's, what's happening to me? What's the future hold in store for me? All that unknown. It's very, it's, it's a lot to take in, a lot to take in. And it's, it's tough, very tough. I imagine. Um, so um, how long were you in the hospital? I was in the hospital six or seven times through 1994. And after that, I got into a group home in 95, 96, 97. And after that, after 97, I've been living on my own ever since. So, yeah, it was, I, I mean, I, before I went to the hospital, I'd already was living on my own. I was going to university, living on my own. I bicycled across Canada. I loved adventure. Wanted to, I wanted to, to do more things like that. But with when the disease hit, it just robbed me of a lot of my dreams. So, the fact that I can actually, that I, I'm feeling so much better now, like I'd say 2012, I'd say was, was I, I felt like I was starting, starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. Like I kept improving, but all the, through my whole recovery, I always felt like I was always scared of plateauing and not improving anymore. It was, I, 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 I wanted to get like, I, I just wanted to get my health back. Like, you know, everybody does who's sick. I just, you just want to feel good. You just want to enjoy your day and, and enjoy life. So I, in 2012, I thought, you know, I, I think there's some light at the end of the tunnel here. I think I might, I think I might be able to get some, I might be able to make like a, a full recovery here. And that was when 2012 was when my improvements started happening more frequently, like a few times a week or more. And then 2018 was when it's like, you know, I think I, I think I, I think I've done this. That was when I started to get some sometimes in my in my day of, of peace and contentment and in the last couple of years i they just come on they happen more frequently and more it's just, it's wonderful just to sit here and enjoy life it's it's really it's a treat i'm still i'm still noticing some improvements but the last couple of years have been have been wonderful it's like wow i it's uh, and the last four years or so 
I started traveling more on my own, uh, exploring the Maritimes, and I've, I've been out to BC uh, a number of times actually throughout my recovery. But it's the last four years of just traveling on my own have been wonderful for me because I, I love traveling and exploring, and I just couldn't do that for so many years. I, at least on my own, if I had other people with me, it would have been easier. But it's I, to have those dreams taken from you of your life, of your future, and back when I first got diagnosed, and to to get them back again, to get your dreams back. To, to get have peace and contentment, it's it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. That's beautiful, man. Make me tear up. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, though. Um, yeah. So what was so those moments of peace? That's kind of the improvements you've seen each week. Yeah. Yeah. They just. Uh, so one of the things I did, so, and I, I sort of have to, well, when I first got diagnosed, one of the things they said, Matthew, you, you need to keep busy. You, you can't just lie in bed all day. And I knew that I knew I had to get up and do things. And I, I didn't want to lie in bed all day. I wanted to do things. I'd rather, you know, had the one had the health to get up and do what I wanted to. But I had, uh, so, so I did, I tried to keep as busy as I could. It was tough. It's tough to keep busy when you, when you just want to lie in bed all day. But I, I tried as best as I could to get up and do things. And around 2002, I said, you know what? I, 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 I can't do this anymore. I want to, I need to spend more time just sitting and thinking. And there's a reason for that. I, I still did what I could, you know, I, I didn't, you know, lie in bed all day, but I, I spent a bit, you know, some more time lying in bed or just sitting there thinking because what I was doing, what I wanted to do from like 94 to 2002 was I wanted to sit there and think and there, and I found a book and it's called uh, post-traumatic, it talks about post-traumatic growth and that's another whole topic, but the book is What Doesn't Kill Us? By Stephen Joseph, and I I found this book around 2010, and what he says is that he, he, people with, and I'll go off on a, a bit of a tangent here for a sec, people who've gone through PTSD, they can uh, through reflective rumination. He talks about two different kinds of rumination, uh, rumination you know sitting there thinking. There's a downward spiral kind of rumination where you think, you know, my life is awful, I can't do this, I, I can't get through this, and, and there's no progress made with it. But there's another kind of reflective rumination where you actually do make progress. It's, it's kind of like uh, putting the pieces of a puzzle together. And he says, with reflective rumination, people can, with PTSD, they can get post-traumatic growth. It's a whole new field they started studying back in the 90s, uh, post-traumatic growth. And people actually so the way post-traumatic growth started was they uh, a cruise ship uh sank back in the 90s and psychologists sent the survivors short-term and long-term after a questionnaire saying how are you doing mentally and short-term after all the survivors are a mess 
but long term after some of the survivors were saying, I feel better than ever. I have, you know, I've got a new lease on life. And the psychologists are like, better than ever. Like, what's going on here? And they said, it's the old cliche. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But no psychologist had ever studied that, studied that until the 90s. So, so it's a whole new field well, in the last 20 years or so. And people become stronger, uh, can become stronger. Uh, and what they use, that main method is reflective rumination. So back in the, you know, when I got diagnosed, I was ruminating, but I didn't know that there was this different kind of rumination. So I didn't, but I, I tried not to ruminate. But in 2002, I said, I, 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 I can't take this anymore. I wanted to spend more time sitting here and thinking. So I did. And I sat there and, and I would think. And you mentioned earlier about my improvements, you know, what kind of weekly improvements I had. Well, the way it felt you know, in 94, 95, 96, the whole way through was that I'd, I'd be sitting there and I'd be thinking, and all of a sudden, maybe for like 20 minutes, half an hour or so, I'd, I'd have a little sort of lightning. I, I, my thoughts were a little bit clearer and I felt a little bit sort of lighter, not so heavy hearted and, and down on myself. And we're talking like slight improvements, but I could feel it. And once a week that happened in 94, 95, 96 for about 20 minutes, half an hour, and they just built on each other as, as the years went on. And in 2002, I said, I, I, I want to do more of this because it works. It's working for me. And I know I should be up doing more things and, and being more active, but I, I need to spend more time sitting here thinking. And I know that's, that's you know, it's it, on the outside, people might be wondering, you know, why is Matthew spending so much time there thinking, well, I'm putting the pieces of a puzzle together. I'm, I'm reorganizing my brain. And part of me is thinking, well, you know, Matthew, was that really you doing that? Or was that just the disease working on its own? Did you really restructure your brain? And like, all I know is I felt an overwhelming urge to do that and I, I couldn't help it. And as the years went on, my thoughts week by week by week became clearer and clearer and, and I felt less, I felt lighter, sort of happier emotionally and less heavy hearted. And all I know is, is that it works. And in 2010, when I found that book on post-traumatic growth, and talking about how people with PTSD can use reflective rumination to get better. I'm like, well, this is what I've been doing for years. So, yeah. The other thing about post-traumatic growth is that they talk about it, it, post-traumatic growth and PTSD. It, it doesn't necessarily have to come from, in, in this book, it, it doesn't necessarily have to come from uh, trauma. That can come from what they call a seismic event in your life. And he talks, they, they talk about how a, a seismic event is where your, your worldviews are shattered. For me, I was going through life, you know, thinking this is the way, you know, life is, you know, going through uh, elementary school, high school. And that was, you know, that's, I, I knew what, I knew what to expect from life each day. And I knew life could be hard, but I, you know, I knew you could lose your legs. You could, all sorts of bad things could happen. But when the disease hit, I had no idea how bad life can be. And that was where my, and I don't know how all this works. Honestly, I don't. All I know is that I, they, they say when your views of the world are shattered, it takes time to rebuild them. And people, people can fall into three categories. They can go into the downward spiral, like my life is awful, you know, my life's, you know, shattered. And the second category is they, they, get back to their original, the way they were before, like their original worldview. And, but there's no growth 
and the third category is they they get back to they they incorporate their their trauma into a new worldview. So and that's where they get the growth. That's where what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So I'm yeah, it's I still have some some time uh, I have some things to work on uh, as far as reflecting goes on trying to just think about what happened to me because for all these years I've I've been fighting to get better and it, it's kind of like if you're playing football, attacker football, and the ball is coming at you, and someone's you've got the ball, and someone's about to tackle you, tackle you. Can you really do like math in your head at that time, or think about what you're gonna have for dinner? That's next. That's where yeah. the feeling of chaos comes from, and that feeling of like being chased by a tornado. It's like you, you don't have time to think from moment to moment. Right. So it's like if you saw me, you know, sitting in the chair watching TV. It's like, well, we're just sitting watching TV. Yeah, for you. For me, it's like I'm trying to just keep my thoughts together, and it's I'm just being bombarded by stimuli, and it, it's hard to even think. It's like being in a you know the football is coming at me. People are about to tackle me. I don't have time to think. Yeah. So it's a chicken and egg thing, you know what which causes which, but that's it's the way it makes me feel. You know when when I'm. When it's I'm, almost like. It's almost like drowning, and all you're thinking about is getting to the surface. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then once you and then and then you start the, the only time you can really think about it is when you get to the surface. You're like, Jesus Christ, I was almost drowned. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's where I am the last I don't know, so many few years or so I've been able to think more about the past. And that's actually one thing they talk about post traumatic uh, uh, stress disorder too, is that you it's hard to think about things as having happened in the past. And in the last, I don't know, four or five years or so or more, I've actually been able to think of a thing of having a memory and instead of reliving it all the time. It's that I was able to think about, oh, that that's a memory in the past. And it could have been a memory yeah. from 20 years ago. So, yeah, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm having more of those. And I still need to do more and reflect on, on what I've been through. But this is, I mean, there's also the human experience. I mean, I'm a human being and right. a human being, a healthy human being has these thoughts anyway of thinking about your life and, you know, what you've been through and everything, everything like that. So, right. yeah, there's that aspect of it too. That's interesting, man. Um, as far as like, uh, would you say it's like internal dialogue? Like when you said you needed to think more and like all the, um, like, would you say that it's like that inter internal dialogue that you're working through to kind of move yourself forward? Like there was a lot of um, internal dialogue you needed to work through, I guess. Yeah. And it's, I mean, why, why that happened to me, why I've gotten better. I, I don't know. I really don't know. All I know is that I, I feel good. And I, yeah, so people with schizophrenia, you know, people say, you know, what, what can I do to get better? Well, medication is, from what I understand, is uh, often a, a great uh, something that you need because it's a severe mental illness. And I'm not an expert by any means on this, but so what, what could I do? Well, I took my medication. I went to get counseling. I went through counseling for six, seven, eight years or so. 
the the after my when I after I first got diagnosed, and other than like the the reflective ruminating, I the other things I could do were just sort of general life health uh, things like getting enough sleep, exercising. Uh, yeah. I tried to find a job, tried to you know social uh, socialize and eating eating better. It's just sort of general things. So I spent yeah. I spent the last twenty years or so reading books on general health, like all these tips on how to to get better. So that's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah, I think education, like for people, there's so much information out there, and especially with the internet and with so many things at your fingertips, I think that's a wonderful way for people to, like, so there's not tons of literature out there on schizophrenia and how to get better, but there are tons of tons of literature literature on like mental health and mental yeah. health people skills. There's, I mean, if you look in the business world, all these CEOs and, and business people, a lot of them are working on mental health and diet and exercise and people skills. You walk into the business yeah. section in your bookstore or go online, and a lot of these books are the same thing as in like the self-help section. It's, it's personal development, and it's yeah. So I was reading all these things and and changing a lot of my thinking, even though I had schizophrenia and a lot of my thinking, I couldn't really change much from day to day. I could still yeah. change sort of my baseline, normal human thinking, not sort of the schizophrenic thinking. So yeah, yeah. It, it's, that, that, was a, that was a big help for me. And yeah. I, I could read these books and understand, you know, how people read more about like, you know, people skills, like, you know, why, you know, how to, how to deal with people. Uh, I'll throw you another book here. So this is one of my my favorite book for learning how to deal with people. It's what police officers use to deal with people. George Thompson okay. uh, wrote it, Thompson with a P. And yeah. uh, it's made my life so much easier. And that's uh, it's a top pick for me. That's awesome. Um, maybe after um, we're done with the podcast here, I'll just get you to send those to me. I'll put them all in the, um, I'll put them all in the description so people can go find them at ease. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, that, um, that really resonated with me when you said about what you said about, um, reflective rumination and, um, like just from, like, from what I've been through, like my, my story of just, um, you know, it's not a mental illness, um, but it's just, um, like the reason why I started this podcast, I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, uh, the girl I was dating committed suicide four years ago. Um, and just going through that grief, like one thing that really, really helped me and like how I got through it was was the reflective, it was like counseling and, and a whole, a lot of other things. But like the biggest thing for me was like that reflective rumination, I think um, mm -hmm. a lot of that over time. And like, it, like just moving through my thoughts, I have so much to get through and um, developing my new perspective on life as you said um but it's crazy now because it's been four years and now i can look back on it and be like oh shit like like i, I said about uh drowning and coming up in water it's like now i can look back and be like fuck like that happened you know what i mean like i and i can just imagine what it'd be like over 20 some years for you where it's like you're just so focused on getting better it's like getting better 
you just it's survival mode and then once you finally find some green grass you're like holy shit i just went through a lot of a lot of stuff like i can't like that actually happened you know yeah yeah like it just hits you from nowhere um yeah yeah so like thanks for sharing that i'm just like and it just like when you said um take like your dreams were taken away and then um you know you finally figure getting them back like that that fucking honestly almost made me tear up because it's like i know from my experiences even though they've been like just you know everyone goes through their own battles and it's obviously different but like man that struggle and that grind of like just getting better is uh it's unbelievable like it i couldn't imagine over 20 some years like it must have just been there must have been times where you thought about giving up and you didn't want to keep going and um, like all the confusion. I mean, probably at first, you know, the confusion must've been unbearable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, when the disease hit and I got diagnosed and they said, Matthew, you've got schizophrenia. I thought, well, what do I do now? You know, what's, what's the future hold in store for me? What am, what am I going to do? And I, I remember sitting there in the psych ward in the hospital and thinking, you know, what do, what do I do? And mm. I thought about it and I thought, you know what? I'm going to try to fight this. I'm going to try to fight. And I don't know where this came from, but, and I'm so thankful this happened to me. It didn't make things rosy and glory, you know, by any means, but it was definitely a, a, a help, a big help to me. I had total acceptance for what I was going to go through. I said, I, I accept the fact that my life will be awful for a long time. I just accept that. I had total acceptance. I, and I'm very thankful I had that. And I have no idea where that came from. It just it literally just happened in, in, a, in, a, in a second or two. I'm like, I just accept this. I accept that, uh, that my, I'm going to have to go through a lot. To, I'm going to have to go through an awful lot. I just accept that. Right. And yeah it's 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 it made my life easier for sure there's also a thing where it's like um i mean i'm sure that it's hard to accept for anybody but when you don't have a choice you know that's when you really you know if you had a choice to do it you never would have did it right so when there's no choice it's just you either accept it or you don't, you know? Yeah. And that's when you talked about like, okay, this is my new, the three options, right? This is my new worldview or I'm just going in a downward spiral, you know, like there's kind of no choice. Yeah. That's, that's one of the big, that's one of the biggest things I would, I, I try to tell people is that when you're faced with that and you have no choice, it's just like, well, you'd be amazed at what you'd be at what you're capable of. It's, it's yeah. and Navy SEALs and their training are actually taught that they're taught that you're capable of 20 times more than you think you are. And you know, where do they get that number from 20? Well, they say, you know, well, technically it could be 10 times. It could be a hundred times, but they use that number in their training. They say you're, and they, they teach people, they teach Navy SEALs in training. 
they, they just keep pushing them and pushing them and pushing them. You, you think you're done now? No, you can keep going. You can keep going. You can keep going. You can keep going. And right. one of the things I've learned from what I've gone through is that you think you're done? No, you just, the amount of energy, the, the, the amount of determination and patience and, and fight and courage that people have inside of themselves, waiting yeah. to be used at a moment's notice, yeah. it's, it's, it's massive. Yeah. I had no idea that I was capable of doing, of fighting that, that much. And I, I believe everyone has it. Everyone has yeah. more fight of them than they think they do. Well, I think it's programmed in. I think even like just the fact that humans lasted this long, the fact that humans are here today just proves that we all have it in it, all have it uh, in us. You know, I think it's programmed in us. Like, I, you probably heard this before, where someone said to you, like, I, I don't know how you do it, or um, like, I could never deal with that. It's like, well, you just never had to, you know, when you have to. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no option, you know? Yeah, exactly. I know people ask me that. I'm like, well, when it's crunch time and there's no choice, you, 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 you just run right through it. You just face it and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so what, sorry, go ahead. I wanted to mention so there's a girl in, she's in New York City now, and she started, she's got schizophrenia. Her name's Cecilia Mago. I think that's how you pronounce her last name, M-C-G-O-U-G-H. And she has schizophrenia, and she started a chapter, uh, a, a non, uh, uh, organi an organization called, it was originally called Students with Schizophrenia, and they changed the name to Students with Psychosis. And they, she has, so schizophrenia often starts uh, when you're in university. So they, they reach out to students with schizophrenia or psychosis and they, they have chapters in countries all over the world. And, and I wanted to mention that to your viewers because that's, uh, uh, yeah, that's, they do great work. There's also, well, there's also the, the Schizophrenia Society of Canada and the Schizophrenia Society for each province. Like there's the Schizophrenia Society of PEI and, and of, uh, New Brunswick and all the other provinces. So yeah, those are, and there's also another girl I've recently discovered, uh, Lauren Kennedy. She has a YouTube channel called Living Well with Schizophrenia. And she does a good job of, of uh, giving out resources and tips to people living with the disease. So yeah, those are, those are some great places for, for resources. Right. That's awesome. I'll definitely share all these resources in, um, in the description so people can find them, but don't know. That's great. Um, it's awesome to find resources. And I mean, even this story, like I think can be helpful for anyone that's diagnosed or going through the same thing you went through. I mean, like for you to come through 20 years and, um, of battling and then you know the light is the light is there at the end of the tunnel and you're starting to feel better i mean that's like inspiring for anybody i think thanks i yeah i thank you i, I yeah um 
so you've seen the TED talk um, in 2016, right? About mental health in developing countries. And that's what kind of got you started on um, on this project. Now you have a website and stuff. You want to talk about a little bit about that? About that? Yeah, my website is mindaid.ca, M-I-N-D-A-I-D.ca. And so for years, I thought, you know, when I got back up on my feet, you know, what could I do to help other people with mental health issues? And for years, I thought I'd be helping people in, you know, New Brunswick, Canada, wherever. And, but when I saw that uh, TED Talk by Vikram Patel, I thought, well, if I'm going to be helping anybody with mental health issues, I should probably help people who need it the most. So I, I don't, right now, I don't have the, the health to, or the, the mental health to, to go to uh, some of the developing countries that I try to advocate for. I've been across Canada throughout my disease. I know I can do that. I, I don't want to jump on a plane right now and go to, to Africa and other places. I, I mean, I don't know if I can even handle going to Europe. It's, I, I just, I'm, I, I take things day by day and uh, when my health allows. So, so I'm helping, so I'm here in Canada and I, you know, I'll, I'll help wherever I can. I have other interests uh, as well that I, that I try to, you know, that I try to help other people with. I've got a fitness website, easierfitness.net and I give some, I give, it's primarily diet and exercise, but there's also some uh, mental health stuff uh, I share there too, and people a little bit of people skills. So, awesome. but the MindAid uh, website, that's where I think, that's where I, where I think of the best bang for my butt or the biggest impact, because there's, there are over 270 million people in developing countries and that number seems low, but that's what they say, uh, uh, people, 270 million people uh, without, in developing countries with no mental health care. Some people with mental illness in developing countries are actually kept in chains. They're tied to a tree, to a bed, to a log in, in the, the back in the, in the shed. And the World Health Organization created a chain-free initiative in 2006. So people are working on this. They, they go out and they, they go to communities and they see people uh, shackled and they they take the chains off them and they start get, giving them basic mental health care and people today are working on this they've been working on it for years so I didn't know this I, I didn't know this about mental health in developing countries I it, it, it was never spelled out for me so in the last three years when I tell people about this people say really it's, it's that bad I'm like, yeah, I didn't, I never thought about that either. What do people do with, with OCD, anxiety, uh, schizophrenia in Zimbabwe? What, how, how do they, how, what do they do? There's no, I mean, some people, there's no hospital for 400 miles. There's, there's nothing. There's no mental health resources whatsoever. And so it's, so I, my main thing is, is that if, if people simply knew this, this isn't mainstream conversation. If you go online, you can see stuff about it. There's articles written in, in the New York Times about this, but it's still not. Most people I talk to, I'd say at least three quarters or more of the people I talk to don't know about this. And a lot of mental health professionals I've talked to in Canada don't know about this. And right. so I think if people simply knew it, if it was mainstream conversation, if the cause went viral and, and everybody knew about it, 
think of the, the number of people today who'd want to help in some way, whether it would be sending $10 to, uh, to a charity to help, to starting their own charity. I mean, this work, it, the meth, this basic mental health care, these models they have, they're scalable. And, but some people, there's entrepreneurs throughout the world who, if they knew about it, was, I'm sure some of them would say, you know what? I had no idea it was so bad. I've got family members with mental health issues or I've gone through mental health issues before. Why don't I start raising money for this? And a big inspiration for me is Scott Harrison of Charity Water, charitywater.org. He's in New York City. And he is, he doesn't deal with mental health issues. Uh, although I'm, I know he wants to, as well as all the other causes you could help in the world. He's starting with water. He, in the last 14 years, he's given, what is it, 11 million people or so clean drinking water. Wow. And he has talked about, uh, because he's not, he, he, he's, he was a nightclub promoter and he went to Africa, saw horrible, horrible things and wanted to come back and help. He decided to fo focus on what water the most because that's where you get the most uh, water affects so many other things. Uh, so he's doing that and he's just, he's very innovative and uh, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs look up to him to, to look for ways to expand their uh, nonprofit, their cause work and, and do better work. He's been a huge inspiration for me and very innovative, uh, uses a lot of tech and yeah, so I'm not anywhere near that stage right now. I the, the last, I mean, I'm still working on my recovery. I've, I've yeah. I'm pretty much at the end of my recovery. It's I'm you know I'm finding peace and contentment, but I still, I still don't want to take on too much because that was that was the big thing with my disease. I couldn't take on too much. I had to keep my life very simple, very limited in what I could do. But, I'm, but what I do is I. Uh, Marnie McBean, a Canadian, a Canadian Olympic rower, she uses the term comfortably uncomfortable. I push myself, try to, you know, but I, but I don't want to push myself too much. I want to be comfortably uncomfortable, like, like push myself, but in a sort of okay range of pushing myself. So that's what I've been doing my entire okay. life. And I still do that. I, I take on new things, but only when I'm ready and when, uh, when, I, when I feel I'm okay to do that. So... Five years from now, 10 years from now, what will I be doing with mental health care? Hopefully a lot more than I'm doing now. But I was very happy that I got my website online uh, uh, two years ago, mindaid.ca. Very happy about that. And I got on Facebook and YouTube, and I got on LinkedIn just recently, about a month, uh, about a month ago. YouTube, uh, YouTube and Facebook I've been on for about a year or more. So I, I keep tackling things and trying to take on more things. I'm trying to reach out to podcasters, uh, YouTubers, other people, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, filmmakers. Um, I've, I've got some ideas for how to uh, get more people talking about this, mental health care in developing countries. And yeah, on another note, with schizophrenia, uh, I was on the schizophrenia or the students with psychosis uh, Facebook page uh, in the last week or so. And they are okay. putting out uh, pictures of their Zoom calls with their uh, 
advocates or their chapter leaders in their different uh, branches around the world. And it's, it's, it's for the first time I'm seeing pictures of people with schizophrenia and it, it's, it made me realize, realize like, wow, I have not seen many pictures of people with schizophrenia. I've seen lots of pictures of people with, with cancer in the media, pictures and videos. Like I've seen, I've seen that. I've seen pictures of people with depression and schizophrenia. I really haven't. And I've got the disease and I've had it for 26 years. And I'm seeing pictures of these university students with, with schizophrenia on their, on their Zoom calls. And I'm like, wow, look at these people. They're people just like me. Just like me. I, you know, I'm older than them. But just to see anybody with, with the same disease as me, I, I just haven't seen that. So right. this is, this is a, I mean, part of me is thinking, could I, could I make a, like a, 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 just a, a video, have, have people with schizophrenia send in their, their pictures or, or short videos of themselves to me, you know, with their consent and all that, and, and, and make a video and just a, 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 like a video collage of, here, here are people with schizophrenia, because I haven't seen that. I, I'd like to see pictures yeah. of people with schizophrenia. I mean, and show the world what we look like. I mean, yeah. I, I don't even know what we look like. And I've had it for 26 years. So that's the yeah. idea that popped in my head just a little while ago. So I no, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Like to, help, to help raise awareness and just and, and make people feel more comfortable around us. And like, look, we do things. There's like there's on the 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 schizoph the students with psychosis page, they've got, you know, here's so they, they have little bios like here's so and so. I like this, I like you, you name it, all sorts of different interests. Uh, Cecilia, yeah, yeah. he's uh, uh, an astro uh, into astronomy, so yeah. it's 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 not like we're monsters. Yeah, it's actually, what Cecilia Mago, when she started her platform in 2015, called it. She said, "I am not a monster, schizophrenia." That that was her. Uh, she's got a TED talk about that. Like, I am not a monster. Yeah, I mean, I've had this in the 90s. I'm like, really. She has to say in 2015, that far into the modern world with all this technology and, and awareness, we still use yeah. the word monster with schizophrenia. And I totally understand why she uses that. It's, it's, I'm like, wow, it's, uh, it's a sad that we still have to talk about that. Yeah. So anyway. No, I think that's a great idea. I think that'd be a great way to boost awareness. I think there's like a, um, I guess stereotype would be the right word schizophrenia yeah. just like lack of uh, education of to what how it affects the people right because i there is a broad spectrum of how it affects people right like even in your case we don't have auditory or visual hallucinations like there, yeah. there's a broad spectrum of how it affects people yeah i've read that there are like 10 or 12 different kinds of schizophrenia and i i haven't been able to find much on each type and when i was diagnosed no one ever said which kind i was uh, all I know is that is that I've got schizophrenia, so I, you know, I know it's different for other people. One of the things I want to mention is that I, people with schizophrenia are no more prone to violence than the rest of the general population. In fact, we're more prone to be victims of violence because we can't sort of defend ourselves. We're just kind of helpless a lot of the time. So right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's also like a common misconception, probably too. Or they yeah. both they just associate delusion with danger. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, it's tough to have to live with that and to go through every day thinking, you know, when I approach people, like, what are they thinking of me? You know, do they think I'm going to be violent? It's just like, no, I, I, I was never violent throughout my, throughout my disease. It's just like, it's, it's just not in me. Right. Well, that's the thing, like, anybody listening to you, anybody that actually talked to you, it's like, oh, it's just, uh, he's a really nice guy, you know? And this thing kind of hit him when he was young, and look at him now, look how far he's gone. <laughs> Thanks. There's a, on the topic, there's a, a guy, uh, Dr. Daniel Amen, A-M-E-N, and he's a leading brain scientist in the in the United States, and he's got a ton of books out. And in one of his books, uh, he talks about how he worked with murderers and and improving their brains. And for example, I, I think it was his his nephew, perhaps when he was younger, or a, a relative, I believe, or it could be someone he worked with, uh, a kid, maybe 10, 12 years old, or something. And nice, wonderful, happy. Uh, good kid and he yeah. started uh, becoming violent and they treated him and they looked at his brain and he had a tumor growing in his brain they treated the tumor and the violence went away and yeah. so when Daniel Dr. Daniel Amen was working with murderers he said that a lot of murders he could treat he could get them thinking better again so it's you know people think about you know how could you know people perpetrate this sort of thing well According to him, it's it's uh, it's it's a it can be a brain a brain thing, so it's yeah it's sometimes I think about you know we have you see on the news you know someone murders so many people and, you know it's scary but at the same time I'm thinking well you know, we anyway it's there's more to the, you know there could be more to the story than that and you know I I've had to live with that of you know walking up. I've had that with years, you know, I walk up and people, if they know I've got schizophrenia, you know, I, I'm thinking, what are they thinking about me? So I've sort of, yeah. I've had to lose that. And it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think it goes to like the, um, I mean, we just experienced this in Canada with the Nova Scotia shootings and stuff. Um, but at the very least, you know, the discussion should be um, mental health, you know, because no one kills a bunch of people that, that is not sick. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, and I, I, I'm not an expert on this. And part of me is like, I, I don't really know how much more to say about this topic because it's, I, I just don't know yeah, yeah. to say about it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, I'm not an expert either. Um, but um, no, and that doesn't take anything away from uh, you know all the suffering. Like I couldn't imagine. It's a very sad thing that happened, and that does happen all the time. You know, especially you know in the states. There's, I don't know what the statistics are, but it's crazy. But um, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, man, I just want to say thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it.
I really appreciate all um, everything you shared, all the resources you shared, and um, we'll definitely share that in the description. And uh, I really appreciate it, man. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I really uh, appreciated this. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, man. All right. Well, uh, try to survive the quarantine. Hopefully, we open up more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You too. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Have a great day. Yeah.